There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped in 10 and branch microfiber. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, retired NYPD 27-year veteran, sergeant out of Manhattan North Homicide Squad. I hope everyone had a great weekend, this Memorial Day weekend, and with, with friends and family, and of course, remembering the people who have uh, given the ultimate sacrifice and given up their lives for democracy, for freedom, and to, to fight for this country, this great country we live in. You know, Tuesday, the Uvalde shooting at the Robb Elementary School was probably one of the worst black eyes law enforcement has received in many, many years, maybe ever, ever, because law enforcement is a profession that is a brotherhood. And when cops in one jurisdiction do something poorly, it reflects on cops, and I say cops with the greatest reverence, constable on patrol, that's what that means, it reflects on police officers, cops, whatever you have it, all over the country, all over the world. And this incident, of course, called for bravery. It called for leadership. And it called for tactics. And it seems like in this instance, none of those things were present. Sadly to say, none of those things. And not in its entirety. There were many who were brave, many who put their lives out on the line. But I always respect certain people in this profession. One of them is Bill Bratton. And his comments in a Daily News article, as well as a radio interview on Cat's uh, Roundtable, which was aired on, on Sunday, were, were pretty bad. He said, uh, he said it's mind-boggling how Texas authorities mishandled last week's massacre, as he referred to it. I've never seen anything like it in all of my years of policing, Bratton said during an appearance on the Cats Roundtable. I have so much anger at the moment at how mishandled this has been. Bratton served as a NYPD commissioner uh, two different times. In addition, he was the Boston police commissioner, and he also was in L.A. for a while. So he is probably one of the law enforcement executives with the, probably one of the best resumes in the country. Um, and he spoke about uh, active shooter guidelines and how seemingly they were just not adhered to whatsoever. He also mentioned Pete Arredondo, who was the school district police chief, who he questioned why he was in command. He commands a police department of six officers. Why was he the incident commander on such a large incident and calling the shots over probably far more experienced crime fighters and uh, patrol officers than himself. So that seemed to be a big, uh, a big mistake also. Um, he was stunned that local Texas cops waited so long to enter the Robb Elementary School uh, and resulting in the death of 19 fourth graders and two teachers, which is horrendous. Uh, to be hearing that some of those lives might have been saved, but a wrong decision was made apparently by a police chief with a six-person police force. 
that was put in charge of the response to this horrendous incident, he told radio host John Castamatidis, it's mind-boggling and frustrating. We learned a lot from the Columbine tragedy many, many years ago, he said. Apparently and unfortunately with how it seems to be shaping up, the officer in charge, the incident commander in this incident in Texas, effectively, after all the things we learned about this type of incident, he basically didn't implement them, Bratton went on. He opted to keep those 19 officers outside the classroom, which is quite baffling. You know, when it basically calls the, the, the criteria uh, in confronting an active shooter is to confront the active shooter because he will not stop until he's stopped or he commits suicide, he surrenders or someone stops him. We know that. And law enforcement, we know that. So why those tenets from all those other jobs that we've had active shooters, why they were not adhered to and the officers don't go in is a huge black eye for law enforcement and just just horrendous. And I want to share this and I want to share Bill Bratton, what he had to say, since he is one of the most well-respected police commanders, police executives in the nation. And I want to hear what Bill Bratton had to say here. To you all, Commissioner Bratton, I want to start with you as a seasoned veteran of many police departments who's run many police departments. Just your initial assessment of the approach, it appears, law enforcement took in Uvalde. We know now that at 1140, the gunman entered the school. It was at 1247 that the tactical team arrived and got in and finally was able to kill him. That's not to say, as we've said many times, there were not brave officers who confronted him initially, but were outgunned. But based on what you know, what's your assessment here? Well, a lot of what we're dealing with, Willie, as you know, is speculation at this stage because law enforcement in Texas has been an embarrassment in terms of the information they've been providing, uh, the misinformation they've been providing. I teach this in terms of communications in times of crises. And you always start off with the information as preliminary, subject to change. The information they've been putting out now two, three days after the event has been an embarrassment because there was so much misinformation. So we really don't know at this stage what happened in those first 12 minutes, that first hour. And what we do know is that there seems to have been a violation of the basic tenet of active shooters, which is that you move to the shooter. No matter what, you move to the shooter to save lives. And officers around the country since Columbine now for 30 years have trained to do that. We're going to need to find out in the days and weeks ahead that this department trained for it. Did they, in fact, do it? I'm now reading news stories about some individual officers who effectively did do that in that school. What's also missing here, really, even four days into this event, is there's no schematic about this school. This is not one building. It is multiple buildings, multiple classrooms in multiple buildings. So they should be able to, at this stage to basically explain what does this building look like? Where were officers? Where was the shooter? The confusion. Everybody was killed in one classroom. We now find there may be as many as four classrooms this individual was roaming through. No, there's just so many unanswered questions, but at this stage of the game, they should be doing a much better job than they have been doing to try and explain what they do know. And it's, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. Commissioner, how do you explain? Uh, we know we just heard from Ken Delaney and there is a SWAT unit in Uvalde. We know they've taken new security measures, physical barriers, putting up fences, school resource officers, doubling their budget to keep all these schools safe. How do you explain the delay as you look at this timeline from 1140 to 1247? How do you explain that? 
Well, that's what the investigation that is un underway, I would assume, uh, needs to be determining so that they can get information out to the public, to you and the media, to get to the public about what they know at this stage of the game. The doors of Maslow's classrooms, do they lock from the inside to try and keep a shooter from coming in? Did that preclude their ability to uh, immediately get into these classrooms? We have no information as to what the inside of this school looked like in terms of what officers were dealing with trying to get into various classrooms. And so again, uh, the news media conference that they're gonna do this afternoon, hopefully they'll finally get their act together. Give us some schematics, give us some timelines. I'm not very interested in terms of the 911 calls that came in in this 12 minute period of time. Initial shot fired at the grandmother would bring a large police response in that small town to that location. The crash of the vehicle, the shots being fired outside at the two people outside the funeral home, the confusion. One of the things that clears that up is what were officers responding to? It sounds like they're responding to multiple shooting incidents in a very small town. There probably weren't more than 10 or 12 officers working on a shift in that city at that time. We don't have that information. So we're going to have to wait till more information becomes available. But at the moment, they're doing a terrible job of trying to basically control this situation. Hopefully they may get their act together later today with the news conference that's now scheduled for later today. Tracy, good morning. Thanks for being here. It's Jonathan Lemire. I want to draw upon your experience as a former you know, folks, one of the things that uh, Bill Bratton, of course, who is a, one of the most respected uh, police executives, police commanders, police commissioners in the nation, he's been a, com a police commissioner in, uh, and a police chief in numerous cities across America. And one of the things he really was harping upon was the messaging. And you have to get out clear and concise and truthful story about what happened. And you... When you don't have all the facts, you must simply state not just to the news media, but to the powers that be that these are preliminary uh, facts and circumstances. We do not we do not know everything right now. It's preliminary. Investigation takes time. So that wasn't done. And he said that they did a horrible, horrible job getting the information out. And I believe um Governor Ab Abbott was was livid about how the information got out there and the fact that he was told certain information as if it were in stone and truth. And he he was crazy about that. He went basically nuts over that. And that's something that is inexcusable. I know on the NYPD, and I, I use that as a baseline because that's what I know the best. Whenever they give a press conference on a major incident, a police shooting, any major incident, the first thing they say, we want everyone to know that what we're going to tell you right now is preliminary and subject to change because we don't know all the facts right now. So it's preliminary and subject to change. And that is, is very, very important to let people know that because they have to, people have to know something, but you can't tell them falsehoods and tell them that that's the truth. Initially, one of the biggest falsehoods was that there was a um, school safety officer on the scene, and he had confronted the shooter. That turned out to be totally untrue. Not just untrue, but there was no school safety officer working that day. So it was so ridiculously untrue. Uh, Betty Smith, um, 
Gloria kept, I'm sure the teacher wanted to just give some fresh air to the class in the way she, she should have known. But Betty Smith, security is the number one thing. And when you're told not to open doors because it's violating security, you cannot do that. Had that door been closed, we may have had a totally different situation than the situation we had. So you can't take opening up a door as just a small violation of security protocol. It's a huge violation of security, and it should never be done. And you saw you saw, and you see the results of that. Just 100% outrageous, and we cannot excuse that. It's just, it's just not a good thing at all. It's not a good look. It's horrible who ran the Boston Police Department during the Marathon bombing. If there's anybody who understands what it is like to make command decisions during an incident, uh, it is him bringing you in uh, right now. I, I don't even want to say should uh, the school district police, off, uh, police chief still have a job. How long should he still have a job for and why hasn't he been fired yet? I, those are questions that um, are unanswerable right now. Um, We've been at this now for three days. Um, we got bad information at first. Um, we got uh, the information changing. Um, and, and now uh, the truth came out. And, and I give the Colonel, um, Colonel McCraw uh, credit for getting up there and telling us exactly what happened, but more importantly, telling the families exactly what happened. But now there has to be follow-up. Um, governors shouldn't get mad. They should do something. Um, something needs to be done here. Um, I don't want to rush to judgment. There's investigations that have to be that have to be conducted, but the the activity, the, the response at this point in time, from everything that we've heard, is incomprehensible from a, a professional police perspective, and it's really important to move quickly uh, to 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 do the right thing here and put people in charge of this investigation that were not involved in the response. Uh, it, it needs to be done objectively. Um, we, we need to get answers. And this is a For dark sure. day in the history of policing. For all of the money spent, for all of the active shooter training situations, the Uvalde City Police Department SWAT team even posted a Facebook picture showing their active shooter training on and on and on and on. And yet, when it comes down to it, it comes down to one man making a decision under fire, perhaps having never been in combat before. How are parents to feel confident that when they send their kids to school and police respond, they're going to have learned the lessons of, of Columbine and of Parkland and now of Uvalde? Those are important points. Parents are not going to feel comfortable until something significant happens. We've been training this up for 20 years. But make no mistake about this. This was not a failure of training. This was a failure of command. There were people there who made decisions that delayed the response, delayed saving children who were wounded, and, and, and resulted in more fire, more, more fire being laid down by the suspect. You know, folks, you heard that. Um, and one of the things he said, which to me is one of the most important things said by all the police talking heads, all the FBI talking heads, all the former police commissioners, is it wasn't a failure in training. It wasn't a failure in communication. It was a failure in command. In essence, the person in command, it was that person's responsibility to give the proper orders. And the proper order was to go in 
to knock that door down and go in and save those children. So he, this, uh, the Boston, former Boston police chief, uh, Ed Davis, brilliant. I mean, I, I, I appreciate uh, his candor. I appreciate that he wasn't afraid to go against the profession of policing because we all feel somewhat protective. But when something disegregious occurs, you have to call a spade a spade and you have to call it what it is. And it was a failure, a, a failure in command. And there is there is no doubt that that's what it was. So we go from there. And let's go back to Ed Davis and we'll hear the rest of what he has to say here. And I, I don't know how, how you try to say this is anything but an active shooter when there were active shots being fired. There's no excuse for this. You need to go in. Windows. There are a bunch of different ways you could do this. I, I, I do at least want to give the, the incident commander, the, the chief of police at the, the school district, uh, his due in the sense of what he told the Texas Rangers. Here is them explaining why he explained to them that he decided that it was no longer an active shooter, but what they call a barricaded suspect. Take a listen. Sir, you have people who are alive, children who are calling 911 saying, please send the police. They are alive. In that classroom, there are lives that are at risk. That's hey, we're, we're, well, we're well aware of that. Right, but yeah. why was this decision made not to go in and rescue these children? Again, you know, the on-scene commander considered a barricaded subject and that there was time and there were no ch more children at risk. Obviously, ob obviously, you know, based upon the information we have, there were children in that classroom that were at risk, and it was, in fact, still an active shooter situation and not a barricaded subject. Is there any possible explanation for confusing these two? Because if someone's shooting and there's kids inside bleeding out, feels pretty obvious. Yes, it does. The simple answer to that is this could not have been confusing if there were live rounds being fired inside that school while there were 19 police officers in the hallway. I don't know how, even with a commander in charge, I don't know how you could stop the officers from going in over the demands of the commander not to go in. It, it's just a bizarre situation. But right now, we can't let the initial information be the final word. We have to find out what's going on here. I always get nervous when responsibility rolls so far downhill and, 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 and the lowest rung of, of the responsibility gets gets sort of uh, hold, gets gets to hold the bag on us. So let's find out what the commander knew and when he knew it. Was the communication coming out of the 911 center to that commander? Were there other commanders there from other agencies that could have stepped up? There's there's a lot of questions that need to be answered here. And I'm not going to vilify anybody. There was heroic police activity that occurred there. And, and in one thing that happened was that shooter was confined to that classroom. He didn't get into other classrooms. So lives were saved, but but the initial response and the initial blush on this is that there were huge mistakes made and some people died as a result of it and that cannot be acceptable to this nation. And what an excellent point um, that even when we think we have the facts now, to wait for more facts to come out because we thought we had the facts two days ago and boy, uh, have they changed at this point. And now we have a, a, a new 
a new focus, and that may not end up being the right one. Uh, sir, it's always good to see. I appreciate you taking the time on a Friday to be with you. So your expertise is really unparalleled in this, as your as is your experience. That was uh, Chief uh, Ed Davis, Boston Police Department. He ran the investigation of the Boston Marathon, the response to the Boston Marathon. Very sharp guy. Uh, very sure he made he made some calls there that aren't so easy to make, but he made them and he said, you know, there was a failure in command. One of the big things that we're all talking about, even those in law enforcement, I heard some people actually arguing for the call about this transitioning from being an active shooter into a barricaded suspect. No good. No good. I don't think that's possible to transition from a barricaded, excuse me, from an active shooter to a barricaded shooter. I just don't think that that's, that that's possible. And especially when you can hear gunfire, and especially when children in the room are calling 911 and saying, please, let the police come in, please. He's still shooting. How does that transition into that? I just, I just don't get that. And I don't get how some of my brothers in law enforcement can argue that that's what it was or what it is. I, you know, I don't think an active shooter incident can transition into being a barricaded perp situation. No, go in and get them. Stop the threat. Also, there's maybe kids in there that are wounded, that if they get medical care right away, they could live. But that wasn't to be. Many kids, from what I understand now, bled out. They bled out because they didn't get immediate medical care. So I don't believe, and again, I'm not on the scene, but I do not believe that 19 officers standing outside a door when there's children being shot by an active shooter that you can transition that into what's known as a barricaded perp situation. I, I just don't. Uh, I just don't think that that's a possibility. You know, Governor Abbott also was given early on in this case. In this case, was given some bad information, and he, of course, now is livid because when you get bad information, you act upon it. Uh, you get a glory be your face, and you look really stupid because he's at the top, and he's giving this information as if this information is gold because he got it right from the police commanders and the information turned out to be wrong, to be incorrect. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. We give it to you from a police perspective. We try to be honest. We give our personal point of view from our years of training. But also, when we're wrong, we'll admit we're wrong. Early on in this case, we, were, we refused to make any kind of call because all of the information was not out there. And as you could see, as the days go on, more and more information comes out. Uh, they just made a decision that the federal government is going to reinvestigate this or investigate this to see exactly what happened. What was the problem? What happened? Why did the police not go in? An accurate timeline. You know, there was also a patrol officer who responded to the scene and actually passed the perp in the parking lot before he had entered the school. And he instead had confronted a school teacher. So all of these things are going to come out. All the things are going to come out about different law enforcement agencies. How about the Border Patrol? From what I understand, the Border Patrol was ready to go in and they were held back. 
you know, when you think about it, you got some dogs. You got the dogs there. Let's send the dogs in, you know. And Pete Arredondo, the school district police chief, he, he took it upon himself to hold them off and handle the job as a barricaded perp situation rather than as an active shooter. And so that's where, and even the police now, um, uh, Inspector McGraw from um, the Texas police, he's saying now in a press conference that was wrong. That decision was totally 100% wrong. But now, you know, time has subsided. They've had a chance to examine this situation. They've had a chance to look at it more, more in depth. I want to put a little bit of Governor Abbott on the phone and we'll show just how livid he was in this situation for the information that, that he received. And uh, we'll play this now. That. And here's my expectation. My expectation is that the law enforcement leaders that are leading the investigations, which includes uh, the Texas Rangers and the FBI, they get to the bottom of every fact with absolute certainty there are people who deserve answers the most and those are the families whose lives have been destroyed they need answers that are accurate and it is inexcusable all right that was the governor uh, clearly clearly angry uh, here about what he had been told. Uh, he went on national television and praised law enforcement. And undoubtedly, there were a number of especially federal agents who came here off duty uh, and ran in. They were part of the Border Patrol's tactical team and ran into the school. Many of them didn't even have time to put their body armor on. And they were the ones who eventually went in and took uh, the gunman down. I want to bring in Ed Davis, who ran the Boston Police Department during the marathon bombing. If there's anybody who understands what it is like to make command decisions during an incident, uh, it is him. Folks, we already saw Ed Davis again brilliantly. He said, uh, to reiterate what he said, he said that the failure here was a failure in command. You know, I see a lot of people in the chat saying that um, this is like a blame game. We're blaming people. No, I think it's important to understand what occurred so that we don't do it again, that we don't do something like this again, because huge mistakes were made. You know, a, a huge mistake was made, and we can't just defend the, the actions and pretend that it didn't happen. Because it did happen, and it was a huge, huge mistake. So we have to understand what happened, investigate what happened, so that it never happens again. You know, and uh, someone also in the chat said, can a active shooter become a barricaded active shooter? No, they're two different things. An active shooter is actively firing. You have to take him out. He has to be taken out. You cannot transition that into a hostage situation. He needs to be taken out. And, you know, we've learned this after Columbine, and we've learned this after several other active shooters, that the active shooter has to be confronted. He has to be confronted, and he has to be taken out. So to answer the question, can an active shooter be barricaded? Yeah, he can, but we have to still consider him to be an active shooter and take him out. You know, take him out and kill him. That's basically what you have to do. 
you know, you have to use these these words. Yeah, he has to be taken out. He has to be, the threat has to be eliminated. The, there's 19 children there and two adults that were slaughtered because we didn't do that. Texas community prepares to lay the 21 school shooting victims to rest. The Justice Department says it will investigate the police response to last week's mass shooting and share the results with the public. President Biden was in Uvalde with the First Lady yesterday comforting the families of those 19 children and two teachers gunned down. As some people chanted do something when he left the church service, he responded saying we will. Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez tweeted that he was able to have an open and honest conversation with the president about solutions to prevent yet another tragedy like this one. We will be speaking live with the congressman about their conversation in just a few minutes. But first, we're learning more about the young victims of this gruesome shooting. Our Los Angeles station has their stories. A memorial grows outside the elementary school where 19 children and two teachers were killed, including 11-year-old Layla Salazar. We're just glad that we gave her the best life we could while she was here. There was never a dull day with her. Layla was the youngest child, loved to swim, dance. She was a fast runner and polite. She's in our hearts. She's in our minds. That can't be taken away from us. In another Uvalde household, Ana Rodriguez shares a glimpse inside her daughter's room where academic awards are proudly displayed for 10-year-old Maite Rodriguez. I don't want her just to be another face. I don't want any of those kids to be just another face. She was focused. She was competitive, smart, bright, beautiful, happy. We're hearing stories of survival, too. Maya Surreal told CNN that she wants people to know what happened inside that school. She said she saw the shooter kill their teacher first, then he started firing into their classroom before moving into an adjoining classroom. She heard more shots and what she described as sad music that she believed the shooter was playing. It's a long road to recovery for survivors dealing with both physical and emotional trauma. Nine-year-old Kendall Oliveris is still hospitalized, according to loved ones. She was shot shot and hit by bullet fragments and will need several surgeries. Families say Noah Arona was shot. They're trying to raise money for counseling and therapy to help him move forward from this tragedy. Officials said several children called 911 during the shooting. One child called multiple times. And now joining us live to share his thoughts on the response to this tragedy, U.S. Republican Representative from Texas, Tony Gonzalez. Congressman, thank you so much for being here. And of course, our thoughts are with the people of Uvalde. Yeah, thank you for having me. You know, uh, we're still recovering. And yesterday, uh, you know, I was honored to, to host the, the president and the first lady in Uvalde. And we, we visited a, a variety of different things. We visited with uh, family members that were of the victims. We visited with first responders. Uh, we also uh, attended mass with, with many of the, uh, the community. And that mass was very powerful. At one point, the archbishop called up all the children in, in church. There, was about, there were 45 children that came up and he sat down and he reminded, he reminded us that children are gonna help us heal. And I mentioned that story because as I've been talking with counselors, how do we heal as a community? One thing that a counselor told me is that when people are dealing with traumatic stress, they fidget, they move a lot. And as I was watching those children, many of them 
did not want to sit still. They were just moving. They had this, this, this energy that they needed to get out. I say all that to go, we have a deep mental health issue in Uvalde that the entire uh, area is going to need to tackle. Well, absolutely. You know, and you mentioned hosting the president. We know, of course, the president and first lady there. But you had the opportunity to meet one on one with President Biden. Tell us about your conversation. Yeah, I was, you know, I've, I've been working with the president's team uh, all week, essentially, on this trip. We wanted to make sure the trip was successful, had the right tone. And, and I was very pleased, you know, as soon as he, he got off uh, got off the plane, the first comment he said was, uh, today's not about politics, Tony. And he kept to his word on that. And at the end of the day is when I, I, I offered some solutions. I go, Mr. President, you know, you've seen it firsthand. Now we need to do something. And I go, here are three items that we could do today. One of them, I asked for a mental health hospital. It's a $25 million project. I allocated uh, $2 million to the appropriations last year. So we need $23 million. Another was the first responders. You know, there's all these uh, con conflicting information because the first responders weren't on the same radios. You know, you had police officers that had one thing, Border Patrol had another, uh, fire department, other. So this, this package, $13 million package would put that all together. Well, you know, mentioning that, you know, on his way to Arlington National Cemetery this morning, the president was asked about what he wants Congress to do. Let's listen to his response. I can't take this stuff. I can do the things I've done, and any executive action I can take, I'll continue to take. But I can't outlaw a weapon. I can't, you know, change the background. I can't do that. So we heard from the president there, Congressman. You know, you just laid out some strategies. Do you think there's hope for both sides to come together after this and really get something done? You know, I, I do, because before we're Republicans and before we're Democrats, we're fathers and we're mothers, and we all want our children to be safe anywhere, and in, in school in, in particular. Uh, the other thing I'd say is we all want people to have a clear mental health uh, 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 treatment. So I think those are two areas that we can circle around. I, you know, I will remind everyone that, that the Democrats control the House, Democrats control the Senate, and Democrats control the White House. They, they have all three branches of government. I, I've been jumping up and down saying, look, I, I wanna be a partner, I wanna work together. Let's find a real tangible solution right. to some of the issues. And part of that is mental health. Yeah, and, and certainly, you know, Democrats want to get something done. I think all of us want something to get done. It's just a matter of, will something get done? Well, Congressman, we know you grew up near Uvalde. So what have you been hearing from the people there? Yeah, you know, it's a, yeah, I grew up 38 miles away from Uvalde in a little town called Camp Wood, 500 people. Uh, you know, it's not only just Uvalde, though. It's the whole surrounding area. You know, for, for many that, don't, that are not familiar with the area, Uvalde is almost the big city in that region. So that's the other part of it, too. But many people are broken. They're, they're at different stages in grief. You know, we'll have our first funeral tomorrow. We'll have more funerals in the coming weeks. So people are at different stages of grief. What I will tell you, though, attending Mass yesterday was very comforting for me. It was very comforting for many of us. So I, would, I welcome prayers. I mean, uh, I, uh, my community is predominantly Hispanic, very Catholic-based. Uh, faith is very important to us. You see that in the families of the victims where we want to remember the lives of everything. So we have a long way to go on this, but I would say uh, the community is also coming together in a way I hadn't seen before. Thank you for watching. Click the So folks, you hear that the, uh, of course, you know, after all these active shooter incidents, um, Sandy Hook and of course, 
this one. There's a lot to do. I mean, there's, of course, the whole mental health situation. But we need to do something. We need to do something more than just, you know, let's go back uh, to business as usual. And, you know, whether you're pro-Second Amendment or not, I'm pro-Second Amendment, but I'm sort of rethinking um, whether or not an 18-year-old should be able to own one of these AR-15s. I just, I'm just, uh, I, I really do question it now in my mind that what is the need for an 18-year-old to be able to buy one of these guns? And look at the damage. Look at the damage that was done in Buffalo at the top supermarket barely a week before this one. Look at this, the damage that's done. 19, 19 kids and two adults and others shot. And just the trauma, the trauma that was inflicted upon the community is just just beyond belief. So every why is after every active shooting incident, we do we just go back and Republicans argue one thing and Democrats argue another? And there's no give and take. I think there has to be a little bit of compromise. You know, as I said on the, one of the last shows, is that we we're way out here. We gotta meet somewhere in here. You know, let's meet somewhere. Let's let's do something. You know, let's get something done because if we don't, you know, what's gonna happen? Next week, there's gonna be another active shooting. You know, it's gonna be, and the week after that, there'll be another one. So I think that we have to. We really have to do something about it. We can't just sit around and, again, business as usual, and let's not do anything. I think, you know, we really, we got to do something. You know, we really have to do something. And we got to do something politically, and we got to do something legally. But, you know, something, laws are no good either unless they're enforced. You know, uh, we see that in New York City right now where they we have, and I, I, I hate to get political, but we have bail reform and we have people being arrested for possession of guns over and over and over again. And they're just released to go back out and get another gun. And, you know, so if the laws are on the books and not enforced, it doesn't do us any good. You know, it really doesn't do us any good at all. So I think that we need, um, we need not just laws. We don't need new laws. We have plenty of laws. We need the laws to be enforced, you know, we definitely need these laws to be enforced. And then it'll work. And then, you know, maybe you can get people to sit at the same table together. And if they legislate laws that will be enforced, there's a whole different story than just writing legislation that will never be enforced. We'll investigate law enforcement's response to the mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas. It comes after police clarified contradicting information regarding a non-existent school resource officer at Robb Elementary School. And now police say 19 officers waited outside of that fourth grade classroom as the shooting was happening. News Nation's Robert Sherman is live in Uvalde. And Robert, the mayor there asked the DOJ to step in and investigate. Which echoes the sentiments of many people we've met here, Nicole, who simply say that they want to know exactly what happened, why it happened, what could have been done differently, and what could have been done better. We will not relent until Uvalde recovers. We are Texas, and Texans will unite. Texas Governor Greg Abbott calling on Texans across the state to pray for those families who lost loved ones at the Robb Elementary School shooting Tuesday. 
as the community works to recover. The investigation into the law enforcement response intensifies. The Department of Justice announcing they will conduct a critical incident review to, quote, identify lessons learned and best practices to help first responders prepare and respond to active shooter events. The investigation into what exactly happened, led by the state of Texas, has been met with criticism due to a lack of public clarity and changing timelines. But Texas DPS now believes they have an accurate account of the shooting from start to finish. They say local law enforcement's decision to not breach the classroom door the 18-year-old shooter was hiding behind and instead wait for backup was a mistake. The benefit of hindsight where I'm sitting now, of course it was not the right decision, it was a wrong decision, period. There's no no excuse for that. The Department of Justice's review was initiated by the mayor of Uvalde and will be independently conducted. Ileana Alina Jaramillo is a mother herself and says she wants the truth, whatever it may be, to see the light of day. As more comes out, that's where anger comes in. Um, because I know if it was me as a mother and it was my children in those schools, there's nothing that would have kept me from going in. For Neil Rochelle, he wants to make sure students return to school in the fall feeling safe. I want the fear to leave before these kids go back to school so that they're not afraid to go to school. And you walk around Uvalde, you hear a lot of people say that this has been so powerful, so heavy on their conscience that they say they can't really take this happen again. That's why they want some kind of a solution, some kind of a change to ensure that there is not a repeat here. But when it comes to identifying a solution, that's where we see the disagreement. Nicole? Yes, unfortunately. All right, Robert, thank you. Smitty, thank you so much for the $5 Super Chat. As mentioned in the press conference, I fear copycats. The total breakdown on so many fronts in this case, I think the copycats are taking notes also. You know, let's hope not. You know, let's hope not. Let's pray that we don't have copycats or that law enforcement is on top of this. Folks, this is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. If you like our podcast, please go on our YouTube. Hit the subscribe button. It's free. Hit the subscribe. Give us a thumbs up. Ring that bell. If you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels, and we have a YouTube real crime uh, family memberships. There's five different levels, and you can join us and support us that way if you'd like to. You don't, of course, have to. But we have a pretty good – I think we got a pretty damn good – we got a pretty damn good podcast. And um, uh, Frank Marsha, I like to read what you always are a man of wisdom – Bill, my grandson never had a gun in his hand until he joined the Army 101st Airborne. He knows what these weapons can do. He's a machine gunner. Kids should never have AR-15s unless in the military. You know, Frank, I'm I, I'm starting to agree with you. I didn't always agree with that. I just felt almost like um, that once one side takes away a right to have a certain gun, that's just the beginning, and that was my philosophy. And I think that somehow is the way the NRA feels, but I think we need to come to the table and get away from that, uh, you know, get away from that that feeling. Thank you, Frank Marsha. Kathy Hughes uh, um, at Patrick Glanville, I personally think we need to have levels of ownership like driver's licenses. Tom Cusinelli, Captain Tom, how are you? Hi, Bill, thanks for your hard work. Phil, too. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for your service, especially on this uh, Memorial Day. Uh, 
Cami Burchett, thanks, Bill. Sticking to the fats, facts, 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 I said fats, facts. Yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, Betty Smith, Frank Marsh, I agree with you so much. AR-15s belong in the military. Not available to be had by any Tom, Dick, or Harry. You know, when, when, I, when you see the devastation, I mean, I watched that horrendous video from a camera in the Buffalo shooting. And it was just like, it was just so horrible to watch. And that someone could just so heartlessly and so easily with that weapon just kill people. And of course, for no reason. And it just makes it too easy for someone who's a nutcase to do that. You know, uh, Lynn uh, S. Mesa, I also originally heard he bought everything in March over a period of a couple of weeks, then heard in May. Has that been nailed down? Lynn, that'll be part of the investigation. Find out everything about this, this perpetrator. We'll find everything about what he did. We'll find about the timeline. It'll be totally accurate. See, I always say, um, I always say that um, good investigation takes time, and sometimes people don't want to wait. They want information quickly. You can get information quickly, but you can't get accurate information uh, quickly. Tovi, sir, you know that a knife can also cause carnage. Yes, I do know that. I that's been done uh, in this country. It's been done in other countries. Yes, we're aware of that. This happens to be carnage with a gun, and a particularly um, a gun that's particularly egregious that can just is just a killing machine. You know, um, uh, Patrick Glanville, we can protect ourselves from the government. The army will overwhelm any civilian protest. Look, I, I believe, and I stated and restated, I I believe you should have Second Amendment rights to be to armed uh, to protect your family. But certain guns, um, I'm not convinced that people need to have certain guns. I just, you know, I can be uh, people that are hardcore Second Amendment people. And National Rifle Association people, they may shout me down, but that's my opinion, you know. Uh, Sandra H., we have Second Amendment rights, period. Yes, we do, and that, that's what I was just talking about, our Second Amendment rights. Late, Lee Perry, late, but here, Bill. Well, good to see you. So, you know, guys, this is, is not going away. It's a complicated topic. And, you know, I have another show, guys, this Thursday night, and I announced it. I'm going to announce it numerous other times. I have Patrick Ryder, the Nassau County Police Commissioner, is going to come on the show. I've had him on the show before. Great, great guy. Brilliant police commissioner. Also happened to be a cop on the NYPD before he rolled over to Nassau County. And with him on the show is going to be retired NYPD uh, Deputy Chief Edmund Hartnett and Edmund Hartnett was also the Yonkers, which is in Westchester County, police commissioner. So Thursday night at 9 p.m., it's going to be a great show. And I have two law enforcement superstars, Edmund Hartnett and um, Patrick Ryder, coming on the show. So uh, let me play a little of this, guys. I just want to get your reaction to those latest details. So, you know, this has been a long road. We've had, uh, since I've became Lieutenant Governor and Governor Abbott was elected back in 2014. We've had uh, five shootings now. Walmart, Sutherland Springs, Odessa, 
Santa Fe and this shooting, uh, 90 or so people killed. Plus, we've lost over 50 officers in the line of duty killed by violent criminals. So this takes a toll on us. And when we sit down with law enforcement, we expect to be told the truth in our briefing. Uh, I was in the briefing with the governor and Senator Cornyn and Senator Cruz and about 20 other people on Wednesday before we held our press conference. And we were told a different set of facts than we now know. And whether that was purposeful or whether that was because people, and that was about 24 hours after the shooting because they were still in a state of chaos and maybe had not had any sleep and were in shock and misremembered things. Uh, the bottom line is we have to have the facts and the truth because it only makes the situation worse for the families um, when they hear changing stories. And particularly um, when they heard the, about this 45 minute delay or a security officer who wasn't there, even though we were told he was there. And the governor, as he mentioned yesterday, took copious notes along the entire, was sitting next to him. He took copious notes. Uh, we all asked questions and, and uh, we were told a different story than we now know. And so the families are so angry, governor they have a right to be angry. Yes. And, and so to clarify, Lieutenant Governor, whether or not you were misled, whether or not it was a lie, whether or not it was a mistake, you were told a different yes. story. What story yes. was it that you were told? Well, we were told that uh, there was a security officer and uh, they were a little hazy on how the engagement went, but that a security officer was there. Well, we turned out he was not on campus. He drove onto the campus, uh, but he was not on campus as we were told and led to believe. No one mentioned the fact that there was this uh, 45 minute to an hour hold uh, by the chief of the police of the school district uh, while there were still shots being fired. Now, we believe that most of those shots were being fired into the door of the wall to hold back law enforcement, um, but we don't know. And so imagine the parent uh, who, who has to go through this for the rest of their life and they will be thinking, was my child still alive and could have been saved? So uh, that was another fact that we weren't told. And so this is heartbreaking. Um, this is horrendous. And I've been, as I said, with these shootings, uh, one of the parts of this job that you don't ever want is to have to go to a funeral of particularly a child, but anyone killed in a shooting or one of our police officers killed the line of duty. and. Uh, you know, we, we've had we've had a lot of funerals, a lot of memorial services, a lot of hospital visits. So I take this personally, and I know the governor takes it personally. And for me, it's a uh, it's 140 or 150 people killed in Texas in the last six or seven years of collective anger uh, when we're not told the truth. Um, Lieutenant Governor, uh, ultimately. Now that we do know the information and yes. we think we know better what transpired, um, yes. did the police act the right way based on what they knew? I mean, with a full appreciation of what law enforcement does, yes. we know that. Based on what you know, did they follow the right protocols to get to, to try to get those kids? No, Colonel Steve McCrawl, head of our state troopers who took over the investigation after the fact with the Texas Rangers, they were asked to come in and investigate this. Uh, he was right yesterday, they did not follow protocol. But let me be very clear about something, because there's been some misunderstanding or misreporting, and, and that is people feel like the case in Parkland where no one went in, uh, these police went in within four minutes or so of after the shooter went in through that unlocked door, which should have never happened, that open door. But they were there three or four minutes, and they bravely encountered him, and they were shot. Some of them were wounded. 
No one left the school. They hunkered down in the hallway, about 19 of them during this time, so that he did not escape anywhere else in the school. So these policemen did the right thing at the beginning. And many wanted to go in. And the police chief, look, this is a this is a six-man or seven-man police department. The police chief, and you know he'll leave this with the rest of his life, but he was in charge. He was a You know, folks, this is this information that's coming out. We should all be like, okay, protocol wise, right? They didn't go in, but isn't there also a problem? Now they know there is a problem with their protocol. Why was a chief of a six man police department the incident commander on the biggest incident that ever happened in this town? Why was he in command? That has to be asked also. He should not have been in command. A chief of a six-man department doesn't have the experience, doesn't have the training. He may have even had active shooter training, but that doesn't train him from day to day of what patrol and what emergency service cops and what SWAT officers have. He's not trained to do that. So I would also question that. What protocol put a chief in charge who was in charge of the Pete Arredondo, school district police chief, six officers. Why was he in charge of this incident? Why was he the incident commander? That's what I want to know. Can anyone answer that question? And I think that needs to be answered. And again, when the feds reinvestigate re this, as has been announced, the federal government is now going to uh, investigate what occurred. That is one of the things I think they should find a little strange. Why is the chief of the school district police, a six-person department, why is he in charge at an incident like this? I, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. No, no sense whatsoever. The incident commander, he made that decision to hold. And again, he'll, he'll have to live with that the rest of his life. But make no mistake, no policeman ran out. They stayed, and in the end, by Border Patrol or a combination of people led by the Border Patrol, uh, went in against this this um, uh, assault weapon. And you know, uh, Pete, you, you know that when you go in there, one, two, three, or more of them could have been killed. So the police individuals did the right thing and were brave. And I know the people outside, the parents were hearing these shots, and some thought maybe the police were not doing anything but it was the decision to hold that was the mistake that did not follow protocol. It was the security officer not on the campus that was the mistake. It was an open door held by a rock that allowed that person yeah. to get it and don't, and look, and that teacher will, will live with that decision also. Um, but my focus through this, and, and when we had the press conference on Wednesday, the mic was being handled from the governor to introduce me to speak. And that's when Beto O'Rourke stood up and made a total ass of himself. And what offended me was not that he interrupted me speaking. What offended me was that he put himself above these families. And so that's my only focus. And I said at the time when they ushered him out, I said, can't we spend just a day or a week focus on these families right. and the pain? The pain is unimaginable. I've been there before with these families. It's unimaginable. As my pastor once said, when you go to these events, there's nothing you can say. There's nothing I can say as lieutenant governor to heal that pain. You just are there out of respect. 
And that was disrespectful what he did. And so I, I canceled all my events. I said, I'm not doing any more campaign events or fundraising for a couple of weeks. We just put all this aside. Our only focus should be on the families. And what has made this worse for these families is the, 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 the changing of the facts almost on a daily basis. And, uh, and there, yeah. there has to be accountability for it. Well, there has to be accountability, um, no question about it. We have to learn the lessons. Some of the lessons we learned from yes. past shootings uh, didn't seem like we learned that. Maybe we finally, we finally will. Is there going to be um, accountability for those uh, officers who, who the governor says misled him? Uh, that will have to be all sorted out. And, uh, and that will be, those, were, those are going to be local decisions um, made by the school district or um, that will be handled there. And again, I want to separate this out. Um, the police that went in were brave. Uh, the police that were on hold were following their orders. Eventually some went in and said, it's time to go. Um, but it was a bad decision. And, and that yeah. decision I, can, can I just say cost, cost lives. Yeah. Lieutenant Governor, yes. can I ask you really quickly, I find this sure. piece of information, you have direct access to information that we do not have. Yes. But I hear you saying there's fog of war, there's a lot of brave, there's a lot of brave officers ready to go in. The police chief in Uvalde made the call to hold back. He didn't, there are reports he didn't know if there were children alive still in the room. Right. He didn't know if it was a hostage situation. But we've heard reports of these 911 calls coming from inside yes. the classroom. We're, we're, and again, you have information we do not have. Were those 911 calls not being relayed to officers on the scene? Did that Uvalde police chief not have access to information that there were children alive in the room? Well, we still don't know that, and the interviews are still going on. One of the problems we have across America is different police are on different bands, and whether they got that information directly or not. But the truth is it doesn't matter. They should have gone in. They should have already been in at that point. That's the point that we're making here. Um, he mm -hmm. viewed it, and let's. And this was not. You know, folks. One of the things we're hearing now, and again, he's not confirming this, is that the incident commander didn't have a radio or wasn't on the same frequency as the other police departments, so he wasn't hearing or wasn't privy to knowing that kids were calling nine one one from inside this classroom as other little kids, babies were getting shot. So that wasn't, again, why was he in charge? And you can hear Dan Patrick say over and over again, and so did uh, Chief Ed Davis from the Boston Police Department, so did Bill Bratton, former NYPD uh, commissioner, that this was an error, a huge, huge error in command. Tom Cusinelli, thank you so much for the 999 Super Chat, retired NYPD Captain Tom Cusinelli. Thank you so much, buddy. Uh so these are the things that we're dealing with now. And over and over and over again, they're saying it was not just communicate. It was a command failure. The wrong decision was made. Not the Uvalde police chief. This was the police chief of the school district, a six or seven man okay. department. Okay. Did he have the experience to make that decision then? He was the incident commander. It was on his campus. Um, and... That was that was the key. And look, we after the Santa Fe shooting, we put in over a hundred million dollars into hardening our schools, into metal detectors, into you know the doors. That door, when it was finally shut, it did not automatically lock. And we put in the funding for schools to do that. This was a different kind of lock that had to be activated, apparently. And 
We have tra we train our teachers to carry if they wish. Look, we've got about 9,000 campuses in Texas, 1,200 school districts, five and a half million kids in public schools. We left these decisions to be optional by the school districts. But the point is here is that no matter what we do, and we should have one entrance in and one entrance out of of every school, it should be bulletproof glass on the front, a vestibule, another bulletproof glass, and that's what should happen. And so when, when the doors are open and, and, and police don't follow protocol, mm -hmm. these things happen. Um, but uh, I joined the, the yeah. governor. I'm, I'm angry. Uh, it should not have happened. And um, But my focus is on the families, and that's what we have to focus on, is healing them during As this time and put politics aside. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, thank you for your time. You're right. Ultimately, you yes. want cops charging to the sound of the guns. Uh, and for yep. some reason, that didn't happen right. here. Thanks for your insight. Right. God bless you. Appreciate yes, your sir. time. So, folks, you know, now we have all the information that, that we didn't have. Uh, and that is so frustrating, not just to the families, but look, the lieutenant governor, uh, not just the lieutenant, excuse me, the governor, was taking copious notes when the police commanders were telling him what had occurred, and they had given him quite a bit of incorrect information. Imagine giving the governor incorrect information. I mean, I think something's going to happen uh, to the people that did that. I think it's, um, you know, and and we, we keep hearing, and it's so easy for people in the press, and, you know, we talk Monday morning quarterbacks, Oh, I would have went in or I would have busted in. You know, police are, it's a paramilitary organization. They are trained to take command. And they're, they're trained to listen to the person who is in command. The person in command made a horrendous command decision that was just, oh, so, so wrong. And could the officers, and I think at some point, the the SWAT officers from the Border Patrol, they did say, no, we're going in. And they probably circumvented his authority and said, we're going in. But by that time, 19 kids were killed and two adults. Could those kids, some of them, their lives have been saved? Could the two teachers' lives have been saved by them going in? You know, there has to be across-the-board rules, laws, active shooters. You go in, period. You go in. You do not wait because the whole that whole word, active shooter, is that the person's just going to keep shooting and keep creating carnage and death until they're, they're stopped. And that is why law enforcement is trained to confront, to go in, to shoot, to stop to stop the threat. And in this instance, the threat was allowed to just continue for over an hour. And as a result, we see the horrible, the horrible results of this, you know? And, you know, we'll be talking about this for months and months. And let's hope there's not another active shooting coming up because, you know, as we hear, we... We learned that there's copycats, there's crazy people out there, you know? And I know we can argue, we could say it's not the gun, it's the person pulling the trigger. We could say it's a mental health issue. We could say it's a security uh, situation. You got to protect the schools. You got to protect the kids. 
It's all of those things. It's all of the above. And we have to do better with all of the above. We can't look at that beautiful teacher. She was the, the first, I think, the first one killed by this guy, by this active shooter. And uh, she was there to try to protect her kids, you know. And just so, so, so heartbreaking. Uh, and when we talk about, you know, Commissioner Bratton was on and Chief Ed Davis and, and uh, you know, we talk about policing as a profession and policing as a culture and policing as a brotherhood. And I think Bratton said something that um, uh, he this made him not proud to have his profession, what he saw here. And uh, his exact quote on his radio interview was, he said his pride in his profession, profession had been diminished by the police response in Texas. I have great pride in my profession, my former profession, policing. But that pride was diminished somewhat this week with the mishandling by the Texas authorities, the reti retired Chief Bratton told uh, Katsimatidis on ABC Radio. Um, this is one of the most problematic weeks I've ever experienced in American policing in my 50 years. And again, Bratton is not alone in his frustration, you know. Uh, policing is, uh, you know, as we say, it's a brotherhood. And, you know, everyone, of course, has an opinion. Everyone thinks, oh, they should have, should have, would have, could have, you know. Susan King, thank you so much for the $20 super chat. Very much appreciated. Um, you know, folks, we, Phil and I were talking about this a couple of nights ago, and we both got very emotional about it because, it's almost like once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. Once you're a cop, you're always a cop, you know, and you think like a cop and you feel like a cop. And when something's done incorrectly or to bring maybe shame on a profession, and believe me, there are heroes in this incident too. There are real heroes. So we can't, and I'm not calling even the guys that stood out in the hallway. I'm not saying they were cowardly. They were following orders. And at some point, maybe they should have disobeyed the orders when they heard the gunfire. And I've said that before, and I've had people criticize me. Oh, what do you mean disobey orders? Well, in law enforcement, you're taught to obey lawful orders. Is it a lawful order for you to be told to stand down when you hear someone firing upon children? Is that order lawful? I would say no. I would, I would say no. And... You know, people criticize me for saying that, but you know something? I believe I'm right. I believe it's not a lawful order. Fuzzy Doxy, thanks for all the good work, Bill and Phil. Thank you so much, Fuzzy Doxy, for the 999 Super Chat. Guys, you know something? You can see and hear the passion in my voice, and not just me. You know, when Phil's on the show, we co-host together. And, you know, uh, it, it's just... It's just hard to accept. And everyone in policing, look at Bratton, Ed Davis from Boston, you know, uh, police commanders from all over the country are weighing in on this. And, you know, and everyone knows, you know, something. No, you don't wait in an active shooter. You go in, you go in. And we've learned that since Columbine. In Columbine, they were told that there were um, 
Yeah, Captain Tom Cusinelli, you see what I'm saying. You obey lawful orders. And I know, Cap, you were a captain, and you know that as well as I do. If someone gives you an order that's not lawful, we're taught you don't have to obey it. And it's a slippery slope, yes, because you'll have to um, explain your actions later on. But we're all taught that you only have to obey lawful orders. Uh Tom Cusinelli, you're right. Totally agree. That's okay. That could be our child or grandchild. Yeah. Yeah. So if someone, and I think ultimately probably the Border Patrol disobeyed and said, no, we're going in. We're going in. We don't care what you say. We're going in. Boom. And they killed him. They took him out. You think anyone's going to find fault with that? You know, Tom Cusinelli, yeah, I'd rather go to the trial room. I would too. I mean, it's like, Again, a lawful order. That was not, to me, was not a lawful order because you, you're hearing shots being fired, kids are getting killed, and you're getting 911 calls from kids inside the room. Do you need any further explanation? you think anyone would argue that you were right for going in, you were wrong for going, oh, you disobeyed an order? Yes, but kids were being killed. I ran in. Yeah, I went in against his orders. I think they would find you... Uh, your, your action's correct in that instance. So again, folks, to recap, um, Schmitty, if they disobey orders, that would be dealt with later. No time is of the... Yes, that would be... Exactly, Schmitty. That would be dealt with later on, much later on. And in fact, the, part, the investigation would uncover that. And I believe the investigation would clear the officer's who disobeyed the order because they would be found to be correct in what they did. Milwaukee civilian, uh, thank you for the $20 super chat. Thank you for your passionate, cautious, yet expert commentary. Thank you so much, uh, Milwaukee civilian. You know, there's a lot of us out there. There's a lot of us that are passionate about this. There's a lot of us that felt this as if these were our kids, you know, and it's, it's a horrendous thing. Frank Marshall, police never run away from gunfire. They go straight into it. That's what the retired Buffalo officer did at the top shooting, a hero. 100% Frank Marshall. I wish I still had his name in front of me, and I would celebrate him by saying his name. He's a, a superhero, that guy. Absolutely. Um, amazing, amazing guy. Lee Perry, thank you so much for the 999 super sticker. So, uh, so appreciated. Guys, uh, I, I so appreciate you guys. You know, here I come on at 8.30 unannounced on Monday on a holiday, and I have 200, 250 people came into the chat, and you see uh, the passion we have for this case and, and other cases like this, you know. The, the public needs to be uh, protected, and the police are the last line of defense, and the police need to protect the public. And, you know, if they don't, the society is just going to fall apart, you know, and the police have to be the last line of defense. And I really feel that, you know, and um, but I also feel that people have to be able to defend themselves, you know. Fremont Pathfinder, thank you so much for $5 Super Chat. Guys, uh, it's, um, again, a tough case. And, again, I'm just going to reiterate, this Thursday night I'm going to have Patrick Ryder the Nassau County Police Commissioner, super, super guy, former NYPD, but now the Nassau County Police Commissioner. 
and good buddy of mine, great guy, former deputy chief on the NYPD, Edmund Hartnett, who also was the Yonkers police commissioner. I don't mean to say that after the NYPD to somehow uh, demean Yonkers. He was the police commissioner of Yonkers, which is a very big city. Eddie Hartnett, great, great guy. And uh, so both of them are going to come on. We're going to talk about the national problem of, of active shooters and what's being done in Nassau County. Some of the things that um, Ed Hartnett did in Yonkers and some of the things he's a, um, Ed Hartnett now is a national police spokesperson and also uh, an advisor. He goes to different departments and tells them what they're doing right, tells them what they're doing wrong. For a while, he was a rep for Bolo Rep, which is a product that shoots a, like a, hard to explain, like a, a wire around and wraps around someone, for example, an EDP, and wraps around so they can't move, and then the cops move in and handcuff the EDP without having to use deadly physical force. So he was a rep for that for a while. So he's a great guy. So both Eddie Hartnett and Patrick Ryder are going to be on the show uh, on uh, Thursday night, 9 p.m. Phil Grimaldi is going to be here too. So on uh, it's Thursday night at 9 p.m. So it should be a uh, an unbelievable uh, episode. Um, let's see. Jerry uh, Pliskowski, respect the unlawful order and live with the lifelong guilt, knowing that 19 lives were lost because you did nothing. No thanks. I'll take the ass chewing and demotion. I don't think you would get demoted, Jerry. I think you would uh, be a hero. I think that, you know, when you make a right decision like that and make a decision to disobey what you consider to be an unlawful order, I think that uh, I think you'd be all right with it. I think. I think at least the NYPD would say that was the right uh, that was the right decision. Luckily, on the NYPD, we have such a great uh, emergency service, which in anywhere else in the country they're called SWAT. New York City doesn't want to be called SWAT. Emergency service, they take great pride in that name, and they don't want to be known as SWAT. That's California. What NYPD? We want to be known as emergency service. So we have such a great emergency service that they respond. And they, a situation like this, they would meet with the duty captain, the on-scene commander, and they would tell the captain what they were going to do. And they would advise him what they were going to do. And the captain would be, you got it, guys. Go ahead. You go go do it. You're trained to do it, and I want you to do it. Take it. Take the door and go in there and take the situation over. So uh, – London girl, thank you so much. She, she wrote, uh, thanks, Bill, worth staying up for. Thank you so much. You flatter me, you guys. Thank you so much for staying up and listening. So, guys, uh, again, thank you so much. Um, as you can see, we're passionate about this case and about what we do and about police off the cuff, period, about being able to analyze these cases, use our police perspective, and get to have great subscribers, fans, police off the cuff family to follow us. So guys, I want you all to have a good night and hopefully I'll see you tomorrow. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll sign on tomorrow at some time, but have a great night. God bless and, and stay safe, everyone. One episode.